Lord, your word is so rich and you are so faithful to your word that as we read your word, we understand more of who you are. There is not one wasted word in the Bible, Lord, many translations and paraphrases. But Father, as far as you are concerned, you laid down the truth and it is all truth. So Lord, as we study, may we be mindful that you not only wrote a book, but uh, it's a living book. And the Holy Spirit brings these messages to us and uh, in a timely manner. So Father, we pray this morning that this message will go deep into our lives and, and our thoughts and our hearts. And uh, we trust you to do that, Lord. And I am so thankful for the flock that came today. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we concluded our time with the account of Herod's interrogation of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had already stood before Annas, which was the honorary high priest, and Caiaphas, which was the genuine high priest, and the Sanhedrin, or Hedron, which is consisted of chief priests and attorneys and Sadducees and all of the C's that are out there. And um, they had all gotten together, which, by the way, they could rarely agree on anything. Um, but they are agreeing on this. Uh, the Sanhedrin was the, was the political parties. It was the religious parties. And uh, there was always conflict and so um, they, Jesus had already stood before Annas, Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin, and then went to Pilate. And then Pilate then sent him to King Herod. And this is what we learn. Now, this particular scripture, I don't believe, is on your scripture sheet because it's review, but the rest of the scriptures are. Luke 23, verse 8 says this, When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at, at some length, but he made no answer. So Jesus is called before King Herod. King Herod wants to see him do magic tricks, turn things into water into wine perhaps, or healing or some kind of a miracle. And to that, and to every question Herod asked, Jesus remained totally silent. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. By the way, the word mocked means to toy with. So he was toying with God in his court. We also learn through Josephus... And tradition that Herod Antipas <clears throat> was the only member of his family to come face to face with Jesus. His father, Herod the Great, had lived close to Jesus' birthplace in Bethlehem and had even searched for the baby to kill him. But apparently Herod had never met Jesus and Antipas, on the other hand, spent years trying to meet Jesus and finally had an opportunity to meet him. After John the Baptist's murder, Herod and Jesus were in constant opposition to one another. Jesus criticized Antipas by name, calling him that fox, which is the equivalent of 
a wimp. When the two men finally did meet in the courtroom where Jesus was on trial for his life, Jesus refused to speak to him. Herod mocked and abused him, thereby missing his opportunity for salvation. It says the execution of John the Baptist and the appearance of Jesus within just a few days of each other or months, however you want to look at that, within three years, obviously, haunted Antipas because he believed that Jesus was the reincarnation of John the Baptist. History says that Herod Antipas faded from view and died an un- inconsequential death. By the way, there's so much more information about the Herod family that you need to know. We're not going to read that this morning, but on the connection table back there, on the little slat wall, there's a an acrylic pocket there, and there are ten copies of a four of four pages of history on Herod and the family. It, I would recommend you read it. So feel free to take one of those. There are a couple of things worth noting. Herod Philip and Herod Agrippa were Antipas' half-brothers and equally evil and debased. God's people would continue to have to deal with these spoiled and degenerate men for years. Let's return to John. I believe this is where your scripture sheet begins today as we continue study. John 18, 33 says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again. So He's been to Annas, he's been to Caiaphas before the Sanhedrin. Then he went to Pilate. Pilate sent him to Herod. Now Herod has sent him back to Pilate. And we can't pinpoint this exactly, but I think this is the second time Pilate is dealing with Jesus, and this is his response. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and Pilate called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me, and and, and what have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Who did Jesus, for the lack of a better term, fear? Romans or the Jews? The Jews. Now, we know he didn't fear as we fear. But this is what Jesus is saying here. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So are you a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? <clears throat> At that point, he's taking, taken to Herod. If I misspoke that earlier, this is what it really is. He was taken to Herod. Now he's brought back, and we, we find this account now in Luke 23, 4. This is the second time he's before Pilate. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. When he learned he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, I'm sorry, I'm so confused in my notes. Learned he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time, because Herod had traveled from his palace, his location in Jericho. 
And then Herod mocks him. At this point, Jesus was back in Pilate's court for the second time. John 18, 38. He went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. <clears throat> I'm sure that was a bit confusing to you, and for that I apologize. So then Pilate asks them, anything that a good attorney would call leading the witness. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So he's speaking to the Sanhedrin. He's speaking to the chief priests. He's speaking to the Sadducees. He's speaking to the scribes, attorneys. And he's leading them. He's saying, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Their response, we find it in Mark 15. Verse 11, he says, But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? So we get the sense here that Pilate is trying to direct the Jewish people, the Jewish leadership, to not call for the death of Jesus. Verse 13, and they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. In John 18, 40, we, heard, we read this. They cried out again, not this man that you have presented to us, but Barabbas. And then John goes on to say, and Barabbas was a robber. In Matthew 27, which should be on your scripture sheet in this order, verse 20 says this, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus? who is called Christ. And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? Why? What evil has he done? Of course, the response is just more shouting, but they shouted, all the more, let him be crucified. Just a little bit of a side note that may be kind of interesting. A good number of years ago, a very good friend of mine told me something that Chuck Swindoll had shared concerning these scriptures about the trials of Jesus. <clears throat> I think this may have been possible. This was taking place in a rather small area. If you had been Barabbas in jail and within earshot of the proceedings taking place at Pilate's court, you would have quite possibly heard the following. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Crucify him. Verse 
So who was Barabbas? Well, John has already told us that he was a thief. And Mark goes on to tell us a couple of more things in Mark 15, 7. Barabbas was among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection. So we are told from John and Mark that Barabbas was a robber, a murderer, and a rebel, an anarchist. Food for thought. Barabbas was not his full name, by the way. Some ancient and reliable manuscripts list his full name as Jesus Barabbas. This is interesting, is it not? So the word, the name Jesus means to deliver or to rescue. The name Barabbas means son of the father. Fairly noble name, wouldn't you say? Wasn't the name what we would connect with a murderer or an anarchist? Jesus Christ, of course, is to deliver or to rescue, and Christ means the anointed one. So Jesus' name perfectly reflects who he is. He is the anointed deliverer or rescuer. Jesus was a fairly common name back then. To us, it is no longer that way. Rightfully so, I think. We have a similar account in Mark 15, 8. And the crowd came upon, up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? So we have the picture. Last time before Pilate, Pilate will condemn him to death. Whereas he may appear to be a little bit of a noble guy and a compassionate guy, he really is not. It's kind of the same vision that our enemy wants us to have of Judas. He was a man that was trapped in the sovereign will of God to do what he did. That's not true. Judas had several opportunities to turn to Christ, and so did Pilate. So in the next verse, we have this added piece of information that is the beginning of the end for Pilate. So we're going to look at three things this morning. It's the closest thing I get to an outline. He ignored invalid accusations. Pilate ignored invalid accusations. Pilate ignored a valid warning. And Pilate invalidated the Roman law. So he ignored invalid accusations. Mark 15.10, For he perceived, this is Pilate, in the midst of this, he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. He knew what they were doing. And he knew their motive. And this is repeated in Matthew 27, 18. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. So let's not miss this. Pilate knew arrogance and pride when he saw it. Pilate was a corrupt politician and fully understood the lure and the power and the lengths that people would go to to protect their power. He himself was in the midst of deciding and trying to sort out what he should do with Jesus that would damage him the least politically. Nothing in here cares about Jesus. He ignored invalid accusations. So here 
at this moment, just outside of Pilate's court, is one politician going against other politicians called the Sanhedrin. This is what history tells us. Sometimes it gets down to this. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Nothing more, nothing less. It's about building a coalition, a political coalition. Pilate knows very well what's at stake here. And by the way, the Sanhedrin knows exactly what's at stake here. Pilate was weighing things out from all sides. He was under Rome's thumb, and yet he had to to coexist with Israel for the sake of his political career. In his opinion, Jesus was the least threatening to him. You have a man that is already beaten and swollen and he's bound. He's been before Annas. He's been before Caiaphas. He's come before you. You send him to Herod. Herod sends him back and he's silent now, saying nothing. And it's the Passover. And Jerusalem is filled with Jewish pilgrims. I have this beaten man who will not even defend himself. And I have these very powerful men within the Jewish nation. Why is this important to know? Well, it reminds us that any action or ceremonial gesture by Pilate to spare Jesus had nothing to do with honor or justice or compassion. What he was about to do was strictly political and selfish. He knew their intentions. He knew their motives. Pilate knew they were liars, that they were corrupt, that they were arrogant and self-centered, and he still did the wrong thing. The very fact that he knew these things and was in the very presence of God the Son gave him more of an opportunity than most of humanity to surrender to God. There's a lot to be said for doing the right thing even when it doesn't prove to be beneficial at first and maybe ever. Oftentimes, when I have the privilege and opportunity to speak with people that are going through difficult things and maybe there's another person involved in that, whether that be a marriage relationship or a friendship or your, your boss or your job or whatever it may be. And it always comes down to this because there's always a... a, a a lot of reasons why what you're going through is unfair. But it gets down to this. You cannot change those people. So here's my baseline counsel. Keep doing the right thing. Stay faithful. Stay calm. Stay compassionate. Read your scriptures. Pray. Do what the Bible tells you to do. Just keep doing the right thing. Pilate consistently chose to do the wrong thing. Why? Well, we'll talk about that. So the first thing he did is he ignored invalid accusations. The second thing he did is he ignored a valid warning. Going back to 18 before we read 19, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him. 
Then 19 says, and besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. That was valid. That was a valid warning. He pursued the death of Jesus because of invalid accusations. And now he's going to continue to do the wrong thing and ignore this valid warning. I'd like to say just a word about dreams because I think it's a big word in uh, religion. I'm okay with people having dreams. And maybe trying to figure out if there's a lesson to be learned. I'm fine with that. And you think, well, gee, Tom, thanks. But I would caution all to be very careful about claiming that it came from God. This is very close to claiming that God has given you a prophecy. And every prophecy of God has to come true. When I traveled and much younger, I hadn't even been a believer for very long. I went to all kinds of churches, all kinds of churches. And I was just as dumb as a rock on a lot of these things. And so I went to a church where they all got in a circle and started praying for me all at once. I had never heard that before. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But then someone started saying what God had told them about me. Well, I'd never heard that, and I thought, well, this is pretty cool. I must be spatial. I felt pretty spatial. None of that came true that I, that I know. By the way, best of intentions, okay? Let's say that, best of intentions. Be careful that you do not misinterpret. Let's go back. Be careful you do, you do not put too much importance on a dream or a vision that you think you've had, be very careful. At the very least, it has to match Scripture. It has to be consistent with Scripture. In Mrs. Pilate's case, the dream stated, and we have no way of knowing what that dream was, but it stated for sure that she saw great tragedy on the horizon with how Pilate chose to handle the situation, and she acted upon it. You say something more about dreams. We have the Holy Word of God. And it's complete. All the information we need is in the Holy Word of God. They did not have the Bible back then. So I do believe that God ministered to them and spoke to them differently than He does to us today that have the Scriptures. Can I go out on a limb and say this? There are many nations that do not have the Bible at all. At all. So how can we say that God doesn't do miraculous things there that he wouldn't do here? Because they do not have what we have. So all of those things are open to your consideration. It's just a little bit of a warning. So I'm not sure of what kind of political etiquette there was for your husband being seated on the judgment seat, official 
judgment seat before many, many people, and then you interrupt him. I'm not sure what kind of etiquette she may have broken. I am fairly certain that there had to be such an intense sense of foreboding in her that she was willing to risk the wrath of her husband by interfering with his official duties while he was seated upon the judgment seat and holding court. I don't believe we can emphasize this enough. The man is actually seated upon the throne, exercising the authority of Rome in Jerusalem during the Passover with these religious hypocrites, which he disdains, and a court aide goes up to him and says, Sir, kind of see Pilate go, Really? I have a note from your wife. Pilate looks at the note and reads the following dire warning. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. And we'll say it this way. God has impressed upon me to the point that I'm willing to risk your wrath that you should leave this righteous man alone. So first he ignored invalid accusations, then he ignored a valid warning. We know that was valid because of what came to pass. Finally, he invalidated the Roman law. There were several more opportunities for Pilate to free Jesus. And those opportunities had been there all along. And in reality... Pilate could have dismissed this entire case had he just stuck to his guns the first time he confronted the Jewish leaders. Luke 23, 4, Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. John eighteen thirty eight says this, Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Mark fifteen fourteen. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? The Roman law would have been on his side had he dismissed the charges at that point. It would have been over for him and Rome. Rome never would have had to have touched this had he just stuck to his guns and said, he is not guilty of anything that we care about. Dismissed. But it really couldn't have ended that way because when then Jesus would not have gone to the cross and he would not have suffered and died and then rose from the grave and conquered death and given us hope for eternity. So with these things in mind, who do you think was behind the plan of Barabbas being released instead of Jesus? Who would have claimed victory had Jesus not gone to the cross? When did God realize the cross was going to be necessary? Was it when Eve took the bite of whatever fruit that was? 
Or was it when Adam took the bite of whatever fruit that was? Did Pilate ever really have the chance or the choice not to condemn Jesus if it was God's will for Jesus to be condemned and then go to the cross? I would like to answer that question right now. We always have the choice not to sin. Jesus will never have a sovereign plan for you that does not first offer salvation. So we'll repeat what we've said here many times. Adam chose to sin in the garden so the cross would be necessary. And why would God do that? So that he could prove his great love for us and to us. How do we know that was his motive? John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. God's plan was always that Christ would endure the cross. It was God who foiled Satan's plan to divert Jesus from the cross. It was God who ultimately chose Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. It's really hard to hear sometimes. I never learned that in Sunday school. Well, I never went to Sunday school, so that's okay too. But most things I've heard was the cross was a last-minute effort to save us. It's not what the Bible says. So what was it that finally made Pilate reject Christ? He had invalid accusations. Valid warning. And he followed this until he invalidated the Roman law. So what was it that could have motivated Pilate to continue on in this? The answer is in the scriptures. It's really quite simple because it's the same thing that continues to persuade people to reject Jesus today. To read to you just a few more verses and we'll close. Mark fifteen fifteen. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, beaten him mercilessly, he delivered him to be crucified. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, he not only condemned Christ, he beat him. Wishing to please man, wishing to please himself, guarding his wealth and his power and his position, salvation always comes down to choosing either Jesus or us and always with severe consequences. History would have been better to Pilate if it would have read that Tiberius, having heard of this situation, immediately sent a messenger to Pilate and said, I know some things you do not know. This man has to be eliminated. Carry out my order 
for this man to be crucified. History would have been a lot kinder to Pilate had that happened, but that did not happen. If you go ahead and have this man killed, it will divert a war. Nothing so noble. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. There's another place where it says, and what we're going to read it here, Matthew 27, 24, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered. Now, let's go back a minute. Pilate sees everyone's getting agitated. He's thinking the last thing I need in Jerusalem is a riot because we've already had one insurrection and now they want to release the guy that led that insurrection. He's a thief and he's a murderer. I already have that on my hands. The last thing I need now is a a riot from the Jewish people right on the cusp of Passover. He got scared. I think Pilate was a man of fear. I'm not claiming I'm anything less or more. I keep telling God I'm not courageous. Because I know what He does with courageous people. He's gaining nothing. Riot is beginning. So He takes water and makes this ceremonial play. Washed His hands before the crowd. Claiming something He could not claim, by the way. He says, I am now innocent of this man's blood. And God says, no, you aren't. You are not innocent of this man's blood. But this is his claim. By doing this, he relieves himself of all responsibility he believes. And all the people answered. Now get this. This is the Jewish leadership and the people they have gathered. His blood be on us. His blood be on us. These people are lunatics now. Have you ever seen a crowd get out of control? They'll say anything. But here's it. Here's the horrific part. His blood be on us and on our children. Same thing as sacrificing your children to a false god. Then he released for them Barabbas and having beaten him, delivered him to be crucified. As a believer, I'm, I guess I'm confronted more than I know how many things I am not willing to give up for Christ. Some of them appear to be very small decisions, meaningless decisions. I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to pray as much today. I'm not going to read the scriptures today. Now, all that can come down to legalism, but that's not what we're talking about here. This is, this is how we build a relationship with the living God who sent his son to die for us and then raised him from the dead so we, we could conquer death. He could conquer death for us. And some of the other decisions we make. And by the way, many of them are financial. I'm not going to claim that on my income tax this year. I'm not going to claim, claim any of that. Sin. If you're a believer, it's a sin. Plus, it's against the law, and that's another reason it's a sin. Or I think I'm going to speak a little bit more about this fellow 
and get a laugh out of it for, for my audience. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, wishing to please him. Men, wishing to please ourselves. Salvation always come down to choosing either Jesus or us. And always with severe consequences. First severe consequence, if you don't receive Jesus, you're lost. Another severe consequence is receiving Jesus because that consequence says we have eternal life. There was a little boy that kind of sidled up to another little boy about his age. And this little boy didn't know any better, and you'll understand what I meant by that. So he's playing with this little boy, and suddenly he goes, Are you a Christian? And the little boy goes, I don't think so. The first little boy says, Do you want to be one? Uh, I don't think so. First little boy says, Oh, that's very sad. Probably more than what some of us say in a given day to anybody we meet. This isn't a guilt thing. But children really do have an innocence that is far more powerful than courage. They just don't know any better than to ask that question. Lord, we love you. I find myself in Pilate. I found myself in Herod. I found myself in Caiaphas and in Annas. I'm going to find myself as a Roman soldier. And after his resurrection, I'm going to find myself as a doubter. But Lord, here's the beautiful thing. You have found me as your son. And God, thank you. As I am aware of all my failures, so are you. And you've already covered them. Father, my prayer is this. If there is someone here this morning that has thought a lot about you and heard a lot about you and gone to church a lot, sang the songs, prayed prayers, led Bible studies, taught classes. If they do not know you, Lord, please open their eyes. Because we want to see all of these people in heaven and their children and their children's children. And we love you, God. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I want to remind you, if you have children in the children's area, please uh, go pick those up.